strangers before you and sojourners. This will be in there, Kate. Uh, For your strangers before you and sojourners as all of our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They go by like skiffs of reed, like an eagle swooping on its prey. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. Yet you do not know that to, what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. O Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? And let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime as, is, is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing there in turmoil man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather it. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I have an iPhone. Does anybody else have an iPhone here? Yeah, you know, and I have this game. You know, it's it's a pretty epic game. And I, I'm not a, I'm not a big iPhone game player. In fact, I'm not really a big game player at all. You know, but um, my son is. My five year old son is all about the games on the iPhone. And so his all time best ever favorite game is Temple Run. And he's pretty nasty. And, you know, like, he's, he's, he's playing it, and, you know, I'm watching him, and he has his own iPhone. So he's playing on his iPhone. doesn't actually make calls. It just plays games. But, you know, he's playing on his iPhone, and I'm watching, and, and he's jumping over the things, and the monkeys are eating him in the whole deal. How many of you guys have played Temple Run before? Okay, good. And, uh, you know, I'm like, let me get it. Let me, let me try that game. And so I try, and, you know, if you know the game, it gets faster and faster and faster the longer that you survive, right? And so pretty soon you're like turning like super fast and then you fall off a cliff or monkeys eat you or you smash into a tree or something bad happens and you're dead, you know? And I was thinking about this idea that like as you get older, it seems like life just moves faster and faster, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm 29 and it feels like time is flying. And I don't know what it will feel like when I'm 50 or what it will feel like if I make it to 60 or 70 or 80, but I know that right now time is just blasting. I was, uh, I take my son to the library on Mondays. And so on Monday, me and, uh, me and Gabriel go to the library. And, you know, the, the library where I'm from in New Haven, uh, the Westville Library, they like, they do their own thing. Like, they're just like, they, they're just like totally unpredictable. And so I get there and it's supposed to open at 12, but today they just, they decided to open at 1. It's like, okay, there's a little sign on the door, a little like typed out sign. Sorry, opening at one. So it's like 1230, 1220. And I'm like, we've got 40 minutes. What do we want to do? And Gabe's like, can we go to a playground? And it's like, oh, we can't really go to a playground because all kids are at playgrounds. You know, it's like it's school time. So I'm like, what can we do that will be fun? And you have to understand, I'm not exactly the normal dad, okay? So I'm like, let's go. Let's go to a graveyard. (laughs) I'm dead serious. So my son's like, Okay, and so we get in the car and we go, I'm not even lying, we go to a graveyard and we just start walking around. And he asks me, and and I do this because I want my son, you know, you might think I'm completely insane, but I don't want my son to be afraid of death. I don't want my son to be taken off guard by death. I don't want my son to be surprised when people die because every single one of us is going to die and it's going to happen a lot sooner than we all think. 
because something inside of us longs to hold on to things, but the reality is you can't. And the sooner you come to that revelation, the better off you are. And so I talk them, you know, talk with them around, uh, you know, this, uh, this, these tombstones. I take them around one at a time, and he keeps asking, well, Dad, what was her name? Well, her name was Claire Smith. And when did she die? She died in 1974. How old was she? She was 81. Oh, that's old. That's what, this is the conversation. Dad, who's that? Uh, that's Ben, uh, you know, uh, Cunningham. Oh, okay. Um, and how old is he? He was 52. Oh, that's old. I'm like, well, no, it's not that old. And then, you know, uh, and then, uh, you know, how about this one? Oh, this guy. And when, when did he die? Oh, he was 27. Oh, that's old. See, for a five-year-old, everybody's old. And I'm thinking, well, no, Gabe, that's, that's not that, that's not that old, Gabe. I mean, you know, it's not that old. And so then he goes, the next one, the next one, the next one, every single time, same thing. Dad, who's this? What's their name? How old are they? Um, you know, when did they die? And so we go through this whole thing at the end. And by the end of this, we've probably done 25 or 30 of these tombstones. I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. One after the other, after the other. My son likes the specifics, okay? That's just the way that he is. And so, you know, we're walking through one at a time, at a time, at a time. And he keeps going at the end of every one, you know, boy, they're pretty old and every time i start thinking no they're they're pretty young and by the time you know we get to the 18th or 19th one it's like 85 years old and i'm feeling like no that's that's young that's young and most of us of course wouldn't say that 85 is young but something inside of me as i'm looking at these tombstones just made me realize how fast this is all going and the scripture describes it a lot of different ways swifter than a runner for some of us, that's not very fast if you were the runner. But for others of us, he's talking about a fast runner. Okay, so I'm not exactly the most swift runner ever, but um, he's talking about a fast runner. He compares life to a shadow, to grass, or to a handbreadth. A handbreadth is an ancient measurement that measures the length of your hand. Short is what he was trying to say. Life is desperately short. So my son takes swimming lessons with Melanie. Is Melanie here today? Hi, Melanie just called you out. She's like the swim teacher extraordinaire. And so my son takes swimming lessons with her. And uh, I used to go swimming at the North Haven pool as a kid. I was just a little bit older than my son. And the other day I take him to swimming lessons and you know, the day happens, whatever. It's just fun to watch him do the swimming lessons. And I get home and I take a shower and I'm standing in the shower. I don't know if this has ever happened before. And I close my eyes and all of a sudden I'm back at the North Haven pool. I'm probably seven and I'm standing with all my friends just uh, in the hot, warm water because the pool water was always too cold, you know. And then you get out and you get into the hot water of the showers and there was just this big open shower room and we were like seven. We weren't about to get naked. But we would wear our, our shorts and we would just hang out in the shower for like ever just sitting there like this. Does anybody else like to just hang out in a warm shower, you know. And so I closed my eyes and all of a sudden, seriously, I was back at that North Haven pool in the shower. And I was like, Wow. And I could see Pablo, my six-year-old friend from Argentina, across the way. And like, you know, I mean, seriously, like, I was was right there again. And all of a sudden, boom, 22 years passed in a blink. And I was back in my shower at home on 16 Earl Street. Don't come to my house without an invitation, 16 Earl Street. But anyways, (laughs) it's amazing. I mean, guys, think about this. Think about, like, think about how short this thing is. Think about how quick this thing moves. I mean, gosh, it moves fast. Life is short, desperately short. In Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verse 11, this is in the New Living Translation, it says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Isn't that an interesting phrase? He's planted eternity in the human heart. He's planted it in our hearts. Now, this word eternity 
In the New Testament, they use this word consistently, eternal life, eternity, eternal death. And it literally means without end, never to cease. And Jesus uses that exact same word in Matthew 25, check this out, to describe eternal relationship with him in heaven and eternal separation and torture and torment from him in hell. Same word. And what I'm telling you today is that when you were born, God designed and already prepared you for all time. And the moment that you were conceived, he placed inside of your heart eternity. What that means is you are an eternal being. Think about this. You will exist for all time. You will never be extinguished fully. You will either exist for all time. Think about the weight of what I'm telling you right now. You will either exist for all time in unity with God after this life or for all time in separation from God. You will exist for all time. So we're compounding some truths here. The first truth that we just looked at is that life is desperately short, right? And we've all got to come to terms with that fact. If you're trying to hold on by putting on a little bit more makeup or by doing something to try to improve yourself in a way that can try to control that this thing's moving fast, I'm not against makeup, but what I'm telling you is you can't control it. It's happening, right? It's short. This life is desperately short. And compounded on top of the fact that this life is short is this truth that we are eternal beings Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, wrestled with it and said this as his result. He said, the primary goal in life should be to prepare for death. Think about that. The primary goal in life. Winston Churchill said it this way, and I really like the way Winston Churchill said it. Greg, turn my vocal mic on for a second. He said, when the notes of life ring false, men should correct them by the tuning fork of death. You know what that is? It's an A. It's an A. It's a perfect A, as a matter of fact. It's a perfect A. And you know, when your guitar, if you're a guitar player, is out of tune, you need something stable that you can use to build the rest of the tuning of your guitar off of. Same with every instrument, right? And so a tuning fork is used because it gives you a consistent tone, right? Something that's on pitch, something that's in tune. And so when you hit this thing, it creates a reverberation where the sound comes out and all of a sudden you can hear an A. You, an, an A. And when you hear it, you can then compare the rest of your life to it. Right? That's what he's saying here. He's saying death is like a tuning fork. You hit that thing and it gives you that perfect A. And when life rings false, when people get distracted, when things get out of place, all you need is the tuning fork of death to make things line up again. You know, sometimes we get consumed with things that really mean nothing. But, you know, it's the same as having your strings way out of tune, so far out of tune. But all you need is that one consistent and you go, wow, I've been way off. And then you can tune to it. Do you see what I'm saying today? Death is that tuning fork. And you know, we live in a culture, guys, that is doing everything it can to shield you and I from the reality of death. Think about this for a second. How often are you contemplating and facing the fact that you are going to die? 
And that may sound like a morbid thought. And as soon as we start to bring that up, people say, oh, well, don't focus on that. Don't think about that. Don't worry about that. Why are you being morbid? Why are you being... Because this is real life. And no matter how much makeup we use and no matter how much entertainment we have and no matter how much comfort we try to create so that we can avoid this reality, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Life is desperately short and you and I are eternal beings. Eternal beings. This means we're going to last forever. Now, the crazy thing that compounds on top of this, stay with my train of thought. First is that, yes, life is short. Second is, yes, we are eternal beings. But thirdly, the scripture teaches that this death thing is final. Final. I could give you about 300 scriptures to prove that, but I'm just going to give you a few today. In Hebrews 9.27, it says this, And just as it, is it, just as it is appointed for man to die once. How many times? Thank you. Awesome. Over there. Good job. Once. Man to die once. And after that comes judgment. What the scripture teaches, and people say, oh, well, no, I don't think. It, no, it actually teaches that incredibly clearly. In Luke 13, Jesus uses the story of a master who comes up and he closes the door. And once the door closes, the door is a picture of death. Once the door closes, no longer can people have access into his kingdom. In Luke 16, Lazarus dies and a rich man dies. You can look up it on your own time. And the two are separated by a great chasm. And they try to cross over. One tries to cross over to the other. And, and Abraham tells him in the, in the story, he says, no, you can't. You cannot cross over. There is no crossing over from one side to the other. You say, well, what if there is? Well, I think there is. Well, maybe there's not. Well, if you want to follow that train, I can't convince you not to. But what I can tell you is you are going against all of what the Scripture teaches about death. The scripture teaches that death is final. And this is a crazy idea because that means that there are no second chances. It means that you will not be reincarnated as a bumblebee. That's what it means. It means that you will not come back for a second try if you mess up this try. It means that if you die separated from Jesus, you will remain separated from Jesus for all of eternity. And that is a desperately sobering thought. That life is short, that we are eternal beings, and that death is final. And so what we see is we see this picture of life, right? This desperately short little span of time. You know, I'll start up here. This desperately short little span of time. We'll call it, bam, there's your life. There's your life. You just started with the picture when you got married, right? Well, it started long before that, but just to stick with up, you know? You started with the picture and you had dreams and you had plans and then the tire blew and then, you know, the next thing happened, you broke your leg, and then this happened, and life happened, and before you know it, she dies in your arms, and before you know it, you're at her funeral, and before you know it, you're gazing into eternity. This is your entire life. We could call it 85 years. We could call it 26 years. Nobody really knows when that door's going to close, but that's the amount of time that you've been allotted from the dawn of time. God already knew that you would have this specific, unique amount of time. And then you're going to die, right? And some people, this terrifies them. And listen, I've always been one of those guys that I would rather stare at it and come to terms with it than just ignore it, watch another movie, and pretend like it's not there. Because, yes, it is real. You're going to die. And so you die, and then begins eternity. So life is short. That's identified in that little tiny spot right there. But then the truth is that life is not the end. Life is short, but we are eternal beings. I ran out of space on the whiteboard, so we'll just go back and forth. So you are going to continue to live 
for all time, right? For all time, whether you're with God or whether you're apart from God, you are going to continue to live for all time. But this door, think about this for a second. This door is the closing final decision as to where you will spend the vast majority of your eternity. So here's the crazy thing. If you actually believe what I've just said so far, if you actually believe, think about this, that life is desperately short, that you are an eternal being, that judgment is final. If you read the scriptures, see that it says this and believe that it makes absolutely no sense at all to live your life based on decisions that only bless, inform, and comfort this particular part of your life. It makes no sense. Everything we should do should be based on what this means, not what this means. Am I going to live my entire life worrying about what I got on that grade or what I did for that job or what I drove in that car or what I had in that house? Am I going to permit myself to be consumed with a life that is focused on this little tiny blip when I've just acknowledged the fact that my life will expand and continue for all eternity somewhere? It makes no sense to create my priorities based around this little tiny bubble remember this this morning eternity demands priority demands priority if there's one thing that i want you to remember this morning is that eternity demands priority don't just think about this as a nice sermon don't just think about this as a cool idea i want you to apply this immediately to the way that you think right now because if you're like me this thought makes you uncomfortable this thought makes me uncomfortable guys I've been wrestling with this thought for, well, probably the majority of my Christian life. This has been something that's circled around me and I've thought of often. But especially these last few weeks as I've been praying and thinking about this series. And, you know, for me, this series that we start today called After This, we're looking at heaven, we're looking at hell, we're looking at judgment. These are huge ideas. And for me, this was, you know, the series that gripped my heart most. Because I really feel like, you know, if we get anything right, I want to get this right. And if we get other things wrong, well, then we get those other things wrong. But if we get anything right, I want to get eternity right. I want to get eternity right because eternity demands priority. Well, there's a question built in there. Is it priority for you? Luke chapter 12, if you have a Bible. Luke chapter 12, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus kind of centers on this idea of eternity demanding priority. Listen, if I just preached this, you know, and just said, you know, it's a nice idea. Well, everybody, have a good, have a good day. Like, I can't, you know, I can't do that. Because, to be honest, inside of me, this thing pulsates. I mean, I've been on my face before the Lord, crying out to him this week, saying, God, would you shake me? God, would you help me to see this? God, would you help me to experience the reality of what I've just studied? God, if eternity demands my priority, then would you allow it to invade every moment of my day? Would you allow me, God, to to have every single part of my decision-making process invaded by this reality that life is short, 
that I'm an eternal being, that judgment and death is final. Let's look at Luke chapter 12, okay? Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a pretty cool parable. He starts, I'm going to start in verse 15. He says, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. All covetousness, okay? Now, this word covetousness, what do we think of when you think of somebody that's coveting? It's not exactly the most common American word right now, right? Like, hey, did you covet today? You know, like, it's just not one of those things that we talk about, like, normal, you know, in, in our normal day's routines. But we know that, you know, you think of covetousness, you think of selfishness, don't you? I mean, I think of selfishness. Man, you're coveting, you're being selfish, and there is a part of it, or you're being jealous. Those are other words that we use more often that, you know, that make us think of selfishness, but it, or of covetousness, but it's not it. That's not not the whole idea here. This word covetousness is a compound word of two Greek words, all right? And it's the word uh, to have more or greater amounts of, so greater, more, plus the verb to hold on to, okay? So it's this idea of holding on to more. That's the idea of covetousness, that I want to hold on to more. So it doesn't just speak of selfishness, it also speaks of control, I need to control something. I need to control this. I need to hold on to more. And this actually isn't enough, so I, I want to hold to this. And I want to, ho- I want to hold to everything I can. I want to hold to things because I need to feel like I'm in control. See, ancient cultures have been doing this forever. They, you know, why do people, you know, it always comes back to uh, Temple Run, right? I mean, why did they break into temples in the first place? They broke into temples because those people buried themselves covered in jewels and treasures, right? Why? Because they had this deep need to feel like they were in control of something, like they could hold on to something in the next life. And guess what? It didn't do them any good. They died, their bones rotted, and the jewels stayed there, right? But they still had this deep desire to feel like I can control something. And this is before he even starts the story. We haven't even gotten to the story yet. He says, hey, you've got to watch out for this. Why? Because you have a tendency to do this. That's why. Think about it. You have a tendency to do this. I have a tendency to want to do this. There is something inside the human psyche that propels us to want to try to control our circumstances. To want to try to feel like we're in control. To want to try to feel like we are the master of our own destiny. And the truth is, there is an aspect of life that you just cannot control. And so Jesus warns us and says, be careful. And then check out the story. Let's read the story together. He says, he told him a parable saying, this is verse 16, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, yeah, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared whose will they be so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward god so i want to talk about two types of people that are found in this scripture okay sound good turn the person next to you even if it's like a mile away because they got stuck in traffic turn the person next to you and say this is going to be good this is going to be good you should probably pay attention because we know you're all messed up and you really need to hear this so uh this is going to be really good All right, so two types of people. The first one is obvious, right? It's the guy that has a lot of wealth. It's the guy that did well in life. He has a surplus. 
And so he does something that is pretty much the American way, right? He says, I got more. Let's build another Walmart then. You know, I mean, he says, listen, we can fit it. Let's just add to what we have. I'll build a bigger barn, right? And so he says, let's just build a bigger barn. And then the the thing that intrigued me about this story is verse 19. He says, and I will say to my soul, he's got to convince himself. What's he trying to do here, guys? He's trying to convince himself that he's in control. He's trying to convince himself. He says, soul, hey, soul, you have ample goods laid up for you. Relax. He's trying to convince his soul. He's trying to find rest through the illusion of his own control. And you think, that's a silly guy. Really? Really? How silly? Some of us, it's our savings account. We say, I don't have enough in there. I don't have enough in there. Some of you have none in there. I understand. But some of you, you've been piling money away in there like crazy for years. And you say, well, I, the savings I have are three months, and then I have a six months, and then I have a 12 months, and then I have a, a five-year savings, and, and then I have my investments, and then I have my 401k. And I just need those things because that helps me feel like, you know, if something does happen, if something breaks, I have a... And listen, I'm not against being responsible or having a savings account or having, you know, um, some, some income if something breaks. I think that's all wisdom. But for some of us, it's not about if something breaks, if you're honest with your heart. It's about feeling like I can control something. And some of you, it's not a savings account. Sometimes it's, so maybe it's your job security. You say, well, yeah, I've been working this job. Well, why have you been working that job? Well, I don't know. And, well, does God want you to work that job? Well, I'm not sure if God, I don't know. I don't, I don't think he does. I pretty much hate the job. Well, why are you there? Well, it's a secure job. Oh, it's a secure, it's a secure job? You want to feel, oh, so you, oh, you want to feel like you're in control. Oh, you, you want to, you're scared. And you want to try to hold on to something. You want to try to feel like you're in control. For some of you, it's your car. It's definitely not my car. But for some of you, it's your car. And listen, I'm not against a safe car or a good car. But some of you stay up at night. Be honest. Maybe this is you. You stay up at night and thinking about which car you're going to buy and checking. Well, does this one have airbags? Well, how safe is this one? Well, does this? And, And I've seen people obsess over the safety of their car and pass up a different car just so that they could get the safe car. And it has nothing to do with the fact that they just want to buy a safe car. In their soul, they're scared of dying. And they're taking it out on a car. That's what they're doing. For some of you, it's your diet. And listen, I'm all for, you know, creating a diet that is healthy, unique for you. And people use different diets, and I think that that's fine. But for some of you, freak out if you eat something or if someone eats something that doesn't seem healthy or it has something in it. And, and part of it is a good thing to say, I want to be healthy. But deep in your soul, you've got to check yourself and say, am I just trying to control death? Am I just trying to hold on to something that I can't really hold on to? Deep in my soul, why am I so propelled in that area? Some of you, it's the burglar alarm you put on your house because you're obsessed with feeling. Some of you, it's the gun you're carrying right now. Maybe you're not. If you are, don't, you know. Don't get angry at me. Just the preacher. But what I'm saying is, some of you are getting your gun permit not for the right reasons, but because you want to have a sense of control. Because you want to have a sense that you're the one in control. And I'm not against having, you know, this is America, you have that opportunity. I'm not saying that they should take that away. But what I am saying is what's going on in your heart. Some of you, it's your health insurance. And again, it's a wise thing to have health insurance. But what's happening inside of you? That's the question that I'm asking you today. Are you like this rich guy that's saying, oh, well, we've got extra. Let's put it in a bigger barn. And if we get more, let's put that in a bigger barn. And then I can relax. And then I can say, soul, 
Relax. Be at peace. Be at ease. All this is doing is trying to control something that you were never meant to control. Hey, Greg, turn that on for me. And then something happens. You die. And your little nephew, who doesn't even know how to drive, gets your super safe car. That's what happens. You die. You die. And the tuning fork of death puts everything else in perspective. And that note just rings solid and rings true and rings consistent. And you and I have to deal with the reality that we are going to die. And there are things we can control that we should be responsible for. But we cannot use any of these things as a lame excuse to try to feel secure. When the truth is you cannot find security in any of those things. Rest, purpose, hope, joy, mission, they all come out of God. And if you find them anywhere else, your foundation is faulty and breaking. You cannot find your rest, your security, your, your support, your help in anything fundamentally other than God. He has got to be the substance and the foundation of who you are. He's got to be the foundation of everything that you're trusting in. You can't trust in this world. You must trust in Christ. Eternity demands priority. You can't obsess about things here when there is all this in the future. So there's two people. I said two people. That's the first person. Here's the second person. He doesn't get a whole lot about him, but there's really like three words about him. Really three words about the second person. It's in verse 21. So is the one, he's talking about the bad guy now, who lays up treasure for himself and is not. And then here's the third person. Rich toward God. Rich toward toward God. Three loaded words. Rich means to have an abundance. It means to have surplus, to give extra. And take your mind out of finances right now, okay? Because I'm not going to take an offering or anything. I'm not talking about finances right now specifically. I'm talking about a life system that is far bigger than the dollar bill, okay? Rich toward God, what does towards speak of? It speaks of direction. So where is my life focused? If I want to live eternal, if eternity demands priority, then where does my life focus? My life focuses toward God. And what is my response in that direction? That direction is not just the direction I'm going, but I'm also rich in that direction. I am rich toward God. That's my focus. That's my center. That's why I'm living. I'm living for eternity. I'm not timid to share Christ. See, timidity for, for, to share Christ comes out of a lack of an eternal perspective. Because if I see the perspective of Jesus, if I see you look at the words of Jesus. You know, I'm just reading Luke right now in my own personal time. You know, and I look at the words of Jesus and I'm just like, man, this guy's got guts. He constantly says things that he knows are going to offend other people. And he's just like, yeah, eat my flesh. Boom, that's going to tick you off. You know, like he keeps saying these things like, you know, it's the Sabbath. He could have done it on Monday, but he waits to the Sabbath. Hey, boom, healed. What do you think about that? Well, you just broke all of our, yeah, boom, he's healed too. What are you going to do now? He just consistently did not allow himself to be defined by the traditions of this life when he already saw that eternity demanded his priority and there were far greater things that he was going to have to be held accountable to. So he decides to live on a higher realm, not timid. And my concern, guys, seriously, 
My concern is that some of us are desperately distracted. That all week you focused on that business deal. You obsessed about that business deal. And it's not wrong to give yourself to your work. In fact, the scripture teaches whatever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord and not to men. It's good to be faithful to your job and to work hard. But that's not what you were doing. In your soul, it was more than you working hard. It was you obsessing, trying to control, allowing that deal, that business deal, to be the center of your world, allowing that thing to dictate your desires, your feelings, your attitude. For some of you, it was the way that your kids acted this week that consumed you. For some of you, it was that big assignment that you had. For some of you, it was redecorating your house for some of you, it was some new fashion. For I don't know what it was that you were so obsessed about this week. I don't know what it was that you were just busying yourself with this week. I don't know what it was that was consuming your desires this week. But there's a God in heaven that maybe towards you today is saying, Fool. Fool. Now think about that word. He doesn't yell at the guy, sinner, even though the guy was a sinner. He yells, fool. I think about that, and it's like, fool. Fool speaks to the idea that what you're doing doesn't even make sense. What you're doing with your life doesn't even make sense. Listen, life is really short. I love that scene from that movie Up because, uh, I don't know, it just speaks of just a little snapshot of life. you got all these plans and all these dreams and all these ideas, and then life happens. It's desperately short. You know, me walking around with my son in the graveyard and looking at these people's lives, some of the people had pictures on their tombstone, which is kind of strange. Never saw that before. And... Uh, you know, just looking at this lady. She looked like a bitter lady. She died when she was like 85. There's a picture of her all like, that's the picture. But I just looked at her face and I just thought, man, that was somebody's mom, somebody's sister, somebody's daughter. That lady has a whole story behind her life, just a snapshot of her life, that little window, that little moment of time. And you and I, guys, you got this moment of time you got something you're going to do this afternoon. you got plans to go out with your family to have lunch. Or you got plans to go out maybe to Boston this weekend. Or who knows what your plans are. I don't know. But you've got all your plans set up. And, and the scripture talks about this. And they say, oh, you know, we're going to do this. And we're going to do that. We're going to do this. And in James, he says, yeah, you think so? Fool. And he's not saying that it's wrong to make plans. That's not what he's trying to say. He's saying that when you get all consumed and obsessed with that life, You've missed reality that after this has huge implications for right now. And it's eternity. Think about this. It's eternity that demands priority. Reflect on your life for a second. Does that ring true in your life? Seriously. Because I've been asking myself that, and it's a hard question to ask. Psalm 90, verse 12. Where David says, God, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. In other words, what he's saying is, God, if we don't make this thing intentional, we're going to spoil it. 
So I have three questions I want you to write down. And I want to challenge you to do something practical this week. Okay? I want you to take ten minutes at the end of your day for the next seven days. And I want to challenge you for the next seven days to ask yourself these three questions in about, you know, five, four, five, maybe three minutes each. Let's say three, three and a half minutes each. You don't have to spend two hours on them, although certainly you can. But just take the time and consider these questions. Consider them. They're simple questions. But what they'll allow you to do is they'll help you start to number your days. So question one is, what did I do today that drew me closer to Jesus? If Jesus is the eternal one, and I spent an entire day and did nothing to draw myself to come closer, the scripture teaches, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you, right? So we say, well, I feel so far from God. Well, it's your own fault. And you say, well, no, it's not my fault, Justin. I, you know, well, it is your fault. And there are, certainly there are times where you're going to have dry moments, where you don't know why he feels far. And in those moments, what do you do? You have faith and you continue to draw close to him. And after a season of time, whatever God has sovereignly chosen, you will experience his grace and his nearness if you stay consistent in drawing near. So what did I do today to draw me closer to Jesus? I think of it like a baseball game, you know. Baseball is lame. I don't really like baseball. Sorry, baseball fans. But, you know, the truth about baseball is that there are these huge stretches of time where absolutely nothing is happening. I mean, isn't there like the pitcher standing there? He's chewing on something he shouldn't be chewing on. He's looking over there. He's looking over there. He's looking over here. He's talking to the, you know, doing signals with the guy and the, you know, squatting down. You know, I love baseball. You know, and nothing is happening. Fast forward, fast forward. He throws. Finally, he throws. The guy doesn't swing. Throw it back to him. Okay, let's do the whole thing again. Nothing is happening. And that's sometimes how life is. But all of a sudden, there is an explosion of activity. And the guy cracks it out of the park and people are running and people are screaming. And and all this activity happens. And that's exactly what happens with life. Is that if you would just consistently draw near to God, then these explosions will occur and you'll be drawn He'll be drawn near to you. So what did I do today that drew me closer to Jesus? Question two, what did I do today that drew others closer to Jesus? What did I do today that drew others closer to Jesus? And then the third question is, was eternity priority? Was eternity? The band can come up and, and Nick, if we can get some guys to get rid of uh, this beautiful whiteboard. Was eternity priority? Three questions. What did I do today that drew me closer to Jesus? I urge you to write these down. What did I do today that drew others closer to Jesus? And was eternity priority?